Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Life Plus God podcast. And uh, in this episode, your favorite uh, deconstructing pastor, (laughs) Doug, who puts up with all of my doubts and my questions and is willing to sit with me on this journey of deconstruction. (laughs) <laughs> we we talk about whatever we want to talk about. Today, I just called it Bible feelings. What are our feelings around the Bible as a whole? And then in the future, we're going to like dive into specific topics. Okay. Um, but there's a lot of heaviness that comes with scripture and with understanding of scripture. And it's like such a huge book. And there's so many different interpretations and there's so many different translations. And how did you did? Oh, an actual Bible. Not, well, I didn't bring one. Dang it. I'm already behind. (laughs) Just showing off. And that one looks well-worn too. Yeah. 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 So we're going to talk about our feelings around uh, the Bible. And it's not necessarily like facts and figures, but kind of our how our relationship is with the scripture. And we'll just see where this conversation goes. So I love that. Yeah. Let's just talk about uh, biblical influence on our lives. So this is when I first came up with this question, I thought, oh, that's pretty straightforward. But then the more I thought about it, uh, how influential has the Bible been on your life? I'm like, oh, man, like I can't think of an area of my life that the Bible hasn't had influence. Yeah, I think uh, I think when you step back from that question, and you look at the scope of it, like it, it like it at the most like fundamental root form. It probably influenced how you treat other people mm-hmm. or somebody who read it. I make up, maybe your mom did. You know, I mean, just the whole notion of being nice and all of that. Uh, I don't know. This is going to be a fun conversation because um, the way I said that makes it sound like you only learn how to be nice if you read the Bible. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is like there's so no. many faith traditions that yeah. don't include the Bible. And, and they're nice people. They're really nice. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, go figure. I, that's what, one of the things I said is like, okay, well, my first answer was, okay, my morality and my values are built based on the Bible because I'll tell you, like, I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Christian family. I went to Sunday school as a kid every Sunday. I was constantly doing like Bible memory verses and things like that. We would have it posted all over the house. We had children's books that were basically like taking stories from the Bible and putting them into mm-hmm. like children's form. Um, yeah. yeah. And so I feel like I've just been surrounded by these stories from the Bible my entire life. And they have been a lot of lessons in like your values. But I also know like I have a lot of atheist uh, friends and uh friends of different faiths and people who didn't grow up in the Christian church who have the exact same morals and values as I have and weren't shaped by the Bible in the same way that I was. So it's hard, like... It's hard to section it out. Like, you can't... Well, you can if you want to. But it's not an imperative that to live in our culture today, you have to have um, cut your teeth on the Bible. Yeah. To be nice, to be this, be that, whatever, right? And so... Where I look at the expanse of it is knowing you a little bit, knowing your parents, knowing your grandparents, um, and then just knowing the whole way that Scripture, I think, has infiltrated like um, a, a bunch of the Western culture. So if you go like huge worldview, 
yeah, it, it has influenced your thinking. Mm-hmm. And, and would it be fair to say that, like, you have gone through seasons of your life? And so, like, in these, uh, we'll call them formative years, it was more influential than maybe it has been in this last season mm-hmm. of your life. And that's neither good nor bad. That just is, right? Yeah. And so, you know, when you look at the big, big, big picture of the Bible, I, I think we, we who are in the Western culture, much of what we do was shaped by people long before us who read it and applied those tenets to community and yeah. to life. Well, and, and that's one of the things that I question, too, is, um, you know, we have the Ten Commandments, and a lot of people would claim, hey, a lot of our laws and societal structure comes straight out of those Ten Commandments of, like, don't kill, don't steal, don't do all these things. But I'm like, people had to have known before the Ten Commandments, like, you shouldn't kill people, Right. Like, it makes sense to me. Also, side note, this might get cut. I recently learned that this, and this is something that like rabbis have known for decades, and we just like the news never got to me that Moses wasn't like an actual historical figure. <laughs> like there's no proof that Moses actually existed. <sighs> so I know. And for rabbis, <laughs> here we go for rabbis. It's just like common knowledge. They're like, yeah, this is just like an allegory of story life lessons yeah. and like yeah. how to, you know, but it's not a historical text. And then it blows my mind even more of like, okay, what am I supposed to do with this Bible stuff? Like I don't so get it. If we're going to go there. Let's just go right off the bat. So we both know that there are um, a lot of different spectrums of people. There are some who uh, say, yes, every person that was in, is in this book was a living, breathing person, that that event actually happened just the way it was written in the Bible, right? There was, a, um, there was an Adam and there was an Eve and there was a snake and a tree. Mm-hmm. There was a this and a that. There was a man on a boat with a lot of animals. And that template of understanding the book, the Bible, uh, envelops their whole understanding of the black and whiteness of much of life. Mm-hmm. And um, like I, I think I was that person for the longest time growing up. And I grew up in kind of a, a moderately churchy home. By that I mean like we went, but my mom and dad would drop us off. And then we would meet for church. And then... Um, there wasn't any mention of it really again till the next Sunday. And so uh, it wasn't until I got into youth group under a very um, conservative leadership that the Bible was presented as the, um, the book, all you need for life. Basic. Book. Oh my gosh. I think I've shared this with you before. Like I've had so many people tell me, oh, Bible, it's an acronym for basic instructions before leaving earth. Mm. And I was like, <laughs> that's got to be like on a Christian store bookmark. Yeah, or I'm it? sure. I'm yeah. sure. And they were like, oh, that's good. I'm going to tell everybody that. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but it's- it makes me sad that um, many of us, myself included, have had um, kind of this parsed out understanding of the Bible that um, packaged it in such an extreme way that I missed allowing myself to understand metaphor and allegory and symbolism and mm-hmm. it as a literary document. Mm-hmm. Like it, and there will be people who will hear this and go, oh, no, no. Blasphemy. It's, it's yeah. not a literary document. Well, yeah. 
there are there are there is prose written all throughout it that are you know it they are both instructional and literary and can it be all can it be both can it you know I don't even know if we want to get into this whole like what does it mean for it to be uh, God breathed, God inspired. I definitely want to get into that. Do you? No, yeah, right. well, because, I don't know if we want to get into. Like, well, I mean, it's a huge, it's so a huge soon. debate of like, uh, yeah, this entire episode is going to be heavy content. Mm, yeah, so, yeah. We're, I'm we're, with it. Yeah, I just didn't know if, it, if I was like jumping, you know. Oh no, ahead. no. So, um, yeah, God inspired versus God breathes versus what is the infallible that scripture is infallible or infallible and inerrant inerrant. That's the word. That's the magic word. Inerrant. Um, yeah, that is something that I have struggled with because I guess I can get on board with the, you know, God inspired mm-hmm. of like, um, I was inspired by the energy of God that I saw at work in this world. And then I wrote it through my lens as a human being. I get that. Um, because that's what a lot of, it's hard for me to say it's inerrant when I see so much violence and anger and claims of like God is on our side when we all know history is written by the victors. <laughs> and um, so it's hard for me to believe, okay, every single word that is written in scripture is directly from the mouth of God, and it all is absolute truth and not like, um, I don't know, absolute factual truth. Like, sure. it's I struggle with that. Yeah, and, and I think that's where uh, people who are literalist, who interpret it that way, I think even would say, well, there is a weakness in your faith by doubting or prescribing that it's not all God's penmanship. Well, let's let's talk about some of the doubts. Like, okay. what are what are some of the doubts that you have about the book? About the book, either well, like the how the book was compiled, or specific stories, yeah, or yeah. or what? I um. Maybe I'll go at it from a different way. Like I, I'm pretty sure that uh, humankind wrote the book, that men, and and who's to say, maybe some women. I mean, there's a bunch of cultural crap about that, so maybe, probably not, but that um, in many cases, things that were written down that were eventually ascribed to the Bible were written with understandings and predispositions and cultural influences and biases. And uh, it was a story that was shared around the campfire, but nobody ever wrote it down for 100 years. Mm-hmm. So I kind of think maybe over 100 years, you know, people influenced the story and it changed a little bit. Then you look in the New Testament, for instance, at the Gospels, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each had a different cultural understanding we're writing to a different culture. We're trying to make different points. So if if we have kind of snuck up on that being okay to say out loud, mm-hmm. aren't shouldn't we, don't we owe it to the text to read it in a way that says that when it was written down, it had a message to those people in that time um, in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And that that will affect the lens I look at it for today. That does it have the same application? There are friends who will say absolutely, and then I think there are other parts that uh, 
we say that and then we go, you know, through some of the dietary habits and things you're supposed to wear and not wear and go, well, how about that? They're like, oh, no, don't be silly. Well, okay, so help me know when I'm being silly and not being silly because it seems like you have permission to pick and choose when you see and say it's literal Mm -hmm. and when I say, I don't know. Even to say out loud as a pastor, I don't know, is movement for me. I think I have um, wondered, accepted, and then the longer and the more I studied and was in school, and then even now like preaching on it, when I do homework to get ready for a sermon and I read it in a whole lot of different translations, I read all these document, you know, uh, academic things about it, I, um, I struggle at times to find the relevant application for today. And at times, I think there's not always a relevant application for today. And for the longest time as a pastor, I was afraid to say that out loud because it sounded in my head heretical. It sounded like, what? Yeah. A pastor questioning the Bible? Yeah. Don't you wish that pastors uh, were given, like, the same role and license as rabbis? Of like, for a rabbi, I feel like it is expected and it is part of their job to question everything. Like try, I mean, Jesus is a perfect example. Try asking a rabbi a question and see if they give you a direct answer or if they just come at you with another question. Like, and it's beautiful. I think it's wonderful. And I wish that we had inherited that. I wonder how that went south. Like, so rabbis have always been understood as kind of these scholarly teachers who use a situation to turn it. And that's also a teaching style, right? Mm-hmm. To help it's you, the Socratic method to help yeah. you enter into the story in a way that creates maybe more questions than answers. And uh, I think Jesus did that, but I think a lot of people have taken that, whether it's a contemporary pastor now or over the last you know hundred or two hundred years, and Protestant pastors particularly have digested scripture and have come out in a rather strong, arrogant voice mm. of an all-knowing, hey, I read the book, trust me, here's what it says. Yeah. And it's more instructive versus um, invitational learning. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then when, <laughs> then okay, so then that happens, and you pull back the curtain, and you find out that that person doesn't live by what they pronounce on Sundays, and all the different ways, financially, morally, sexually, da 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 Like, wait a minute. What the heck's going on here? Yeah. And then they'll also say, no, that's the Word of God. Everybody, that's the total Word of God. Do everything it says in that Bible. But creates this huge open door for us to say to them, but, but you don't, right? But I also think we don't allow pastors to live into their humanity. <laughs> like, we, well, yeah, but I think we pastors set our own trap for that because yeah. we esteem ourselves higher than we ought. We say one thing, but live another. So where I think that would happen is if pastors were more honest in the pulpit mm-hmm. and just said, man, here's my mess mm-hmm. and um, gave opportunity in congregations or whatever the faith setting to go, oh, wow, you've got a mess too. I got a mess. Let's all learn together. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the red flags for me of like, this is a church I should not be a part of. Mm -hmm. If I hear um, 
a pastor speaking as if they know exactly what scripture, like what the message is. And it's not like my understanding is this is it. And if you question it, then you're getting it wrong. I'm like red flag because the truth is like, yes, you went to seminary and yes, you studied scripture probably more than the average person, but that doesn't mean that you have the inside look into the Bible. Like you're just as far removed from it as I am. Um, but you know, I wonder if in some of those people's cases, and this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, like that's just their their method they've learned in persuasive preaching. Like I, I have uh, on the record <laughs> numerous times said, you know, you find yourself in a uh, pew on a Sunday, and a pastor tries that, you should just leave, really, because they they we do not have any more divine uh, input than anybody else. And to me, it's just like the ultimate act of arrogance to say, here's what it says in the sentence. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. No questions. Yeah. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts. And uh, I mean, they might have an God interpretation. God said it, I believe it, that, that does it. it. Yeah. They, they might have an interpretation. I don't doubt that at all. But that doesn't mean it's the only interpretation. Right. And it's the interpretation that is exactly for you. Yeah. And if you feel shut down or ridiculed because you're asking questions or it's just whew, a nightmare, yeah. Yeah. nightmare. Yeah. Um, well, and that's one of the things. So we are in a church that is Methodist tradition. And one of the things that I've really loved about growing up in the Methodist church, which they changed recently and I'm mad about it, wow. but the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Um, are you familiar yeah, with it? Okay. Yeah. So, Scripture, reason, tradition. Yeah. So it was basically like four. this little four, a, a, mm -hmm. a little square that has four sections in it. And it's basically like, hey, this is how we understand our faith, each individual person. And they're all given equal weight. So experience, scripture, reason, and tradition. Mm -hmm. And I really loved that because I have never really connected with the sola scriptura mentality of like scripture first and then everything else. Well, I think that the Methodist Church recently, within the past five years recently, abandoned the Wesleyan quadrilateral and they restructured it to say scripture is at the top and then underneath scripture comes reason, tradition, and experience. That sounds vaguely familiar, not enough to sound like I really know what I'm talking about. I guess I, <laughs> I applied the Doug lens, which was that maybe in that set of four points, right, that scripture was the first and primary, which then makes it sound like it's more weighted than the other three, mm -hmm. doesn't it? But I always understood it to be like, a, um, I remember in somewhere in school, it was equated to a four-leg stool mm -hmm. that was, uh, the implication was that all four legs were the same length. Yeah. So that would mean what? They were they, the same, yeah. weighted the same amount. They were all 25%. Yeah, but that all still means they're in like equal positioning. Mm -hmm. It's not like the top of the stool that you sit on is scripture and then the three legs right. are, which is kind of like what it's changed into now. And um, I, I was really sad when that decision was made. I know it's like a little thing that most people have no idea <laughs> that the Wesleyan quadrilateral even existed. Um, but it was basically John Wesley's understanding of how we explore our faith. And what I loved so much about it is like there are 
personal experiences of God that you can't learn from scripture. And there are traditions that maybe aren't specifically out of scripture, but help you connect with God in a different level. And then reason is a huge thing of like, and that's where I really love like exploring the context behind the Bible of understanding like who wrote it, who was it written for, what period of history was it written, why was it written, all of these things, because then that allows me to apply my reason and logic to scripture to decide, okay, is this thing that was written 2000 years ago still applicable to my life today? Um, And so I guess I understand like the scripture first mentality because none of us would even have this faith if it wasn't for the Bible telling us the things that happened, because that's how we learned about Jesus in the first place, is this piece of literature. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what, what um, let's say the Methodist Church is uh, expressing that perhaps differently nowadays. Uh, a, that doesn't mean you have to, and B, you know, I think even that is up for debate. And, um, you know, I, yeah, I, I guess I'm kind of with you, and maybe I've been in, living in a cave. I or maybe it was fake news and I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty Let's sure. Let's go with pretty sure. Yeah. And even then, you know, okay, so what? So um that still doesn't mean that you as an individual uh person of growing faith has to adopt that. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, the thing I've always liked about it is that it as opposed to some other faith traditions, uh it introduces in these different elements that we know are also uh, formative and influential in our journeys. Mm-hmm. You know, other people have thought deep thoughts, and that's very helpful. And, mm-hmm. and thinking deep thoughts about scripture is helpful. Um, history and tradition, uh, you know, and how um, scores of eons of time people have experienced that word. But still, it has to come back to an individual resting place in you. Yeah. And uh, if it doesn't rest, well, then just continue to let, you know, this is the thing. We always like it all to have like a, a uh, tie a bow on it. Yeah. What was that phrase that Matthew Morris introduced us to a couple of weeks ago about? Um, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get comfortable or, mm. yeah, get comfortable with discomfort. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes we don't like that thought in, about Scripture. Yeah. We want to all, you know, and maybe that's why people have been so, uh, yeah persuasive about it being just so yeah because it makes them anxious for people like you or me or other people ordinary joe in the pew to go yeah i'm not sure yeah wait a minute you're not supposed to be well and then also like your ever living soul is on the line you have Mm. to believe in the right way or else you're gonna burn in hell and i don't want that for you i love you like i don't think it's gonna happen (laughs) i'm counting on not but i guess like the reason that I like I said I know it's a silly little thing and like my perception doesn't change because of the Wesleyan quadrilateral kind of fading away and them doing scripture first and everything. I think that the reason it makes me so sad is because I do have a love-hate relationship with scripture for a lot of reasons. Um and so I found solace in exper- like leaning into experience and reason and tradition and not necessarily scripture being the thing. And it makes me sad if there are people who are like me growing up in the church and they're getting a scripture first 
and then everything else after it. And maybe they have the same relationship with me because I know, like, I talk about all the time how I'm a feminist and I know people get tired of it, but I am a very proud feminist. And so there's a lot of feminist theory around scripture. You already mentioned, you know, vast majority was written by men and how much of it was written in a way to make the writer look good or sound good or send a certain message about women or like, why don't we have the female voice in scripture? And like one of the biggest examples I pull up is the book of Esther, where the entire book is named after Esther and Esther does not speak for herself until the last chapter of the book. It's sad. Like, yeah, it yeah. makes me really sad of like the entire front half of the book is men having conversations about her future and who she's going to marry and what she has to do and all these things. And you do not hear a peep out of her until she has the conversation with the king. And I'm like, and it wasn't until I think we did um, at the church I attend, Oaklawn United Methodist Church, we did... Um, a series that they addressed Esther. So I was like, oh, that's a short book. I can read that. And I never even realized that we don't hear from Esther. Like, why is that? And so like, that's one of the things that bothers me. And then also, you know, I am, I consider myself an LGBTQ ally and uh, so much of scripture has been used to hurt the people that I love that I know that that's not the book's fault. But it is the way the book was translated fault. Like it's, there's so much in translation that came up in the 1940s, 1950s that didn't exist in the Bible before like a mass translation went through in the 50s and 60s and uh, around homosexuality. And, and there's just, it, so it, it really, um, I think that's why like losing the Wesleyan quadrilateral kind of like hurt my soul a little bit because so I was like, like it weakens that yeah stance a little better. I don't have to only depend on scripture to feel connected with God. Right. I hear you, and I and I think that it, it is a tragedy, travesty, both if that's such a thing that uh, throughout time people have been able to read the Bible and say, this kind of goes back to what we just said, this is authoritatively what it says. Mm -hmm. Well, the longer time has gone by, and the more, I don't know if it's courage, I don't know what it is, because uh, the book, I think in most cases, the original text is still the same word, but more voices are saying, hey, no, you know how you've always thought it meant only this? Well, we now know this to be true. You know, that word could have meant this, this, mm -hmm. or this. And, um, you know, whether it's some of the uh, anti-homosexuality uh, rhetoric found in Leviticus or whatever, people now are beginning to lean into some of that text saying, well, maybe sort of it kind of meant something differently. Mm -hmm. uh, but depending on what camp you're from, one camp says, oh, no, it, it is very clear it says this. You all, you, you know, super liberal progressives are just trying to water it down. Well, you know, I don't know that I'm trying to water it down. I'm trying to just have a more authentic understanding of it. Mm -hmm. And um, you don't get to necessarily tell me how I interpret that. Yeah. Well, and I also, you know, you kind of talked about, okay, how am I interpreting this through the lens of it's 2,000 years later? Like, it makes me think of 
There are plenty of books and texts that were written in the 1960s and 1970s that we look back on and we're like, oh boy, like out of touch. Like they don't understand mental health. They don't understand this. They don't understand that. Like, okay, we now know more than we knew then. And yet we're not doing the same thing with scripture. And um, to think that these books were written by people in a specific culture, specific point of time who don't have an understanding of mental health. And we talked about that a lot in our mental health series that we did. Hey, maybe a lot of the scripture where they're talking about um, being, you know, taken over by demons or acting a certain way, what was really happening was mental illness. And they didn't know how to describe, you know, bipolar disorder or anything like that. So they called it demons. Um, And so why can't we look at it today and realize, okay, 2000 years ago, they didn't understand human sexuality. They didn't understand brain chemistry and like gender identity. They, there wasn't the biology and science and understanding to really write this down in a way that we understand it today, but somehow we just like throw all of our, you know, new knowledge away and say, no, 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 no. They, they know it's eternal. Like I just, do you think maybe I'm going to upset a lot of people with this episode? I know. Maybe not. Maybe. So maybe it's fear. Maybe it is, um, so our experience is a, is moderately biased, I think, because we live. Oh, it's absolutely biased down here in this, <laughs> like you know, the belly of the well of conservatism and interpretation of scripture and the South and all that stuff, right? Yeah. And um, so I I want to believe that out there somewhere there are others who look at scripture differently mm-hmm. and go, it is a book that can help form your faith. It's not the only book yeah. that can help form your faith. And um, that there are uh, exploring minds mm-hmm. that say, what else could be true? Yeah. And, um, you know, to, to your point about mental health, like um, the book was written in a mindset that didn't even have that knowledge, right? Didn't even understand it at all. And now we do, so... We still don't completely, though. That's no. the thing. Like, the things we're well, saying about mental illness now, 20 years from now, they're going to be like, oh, they had no idea what they were talking about. Absolutely. And yeah. so how, shouldn't we allow for this evolving mindset? Mm-hmm. And this book kind of lives in that tension. Yeah. And, um, you know, begin to loose the, uh, the chains of it being dogma that says this is only the only way you can believe. Yeah, and uh, I know that we have some Christian friends who that's just going to get them all twisted up. But um, it is an important book. I think it is uh, formative, and the God I believe in goes, "Yeah, I'll work with you on that attitude. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm good with that." And uh, then there's other days I'm sure God, whoever he or she is, goes, "Yeah, no, you, we need to work on that." At you know, yeah. just, and I'm I'm so okay with. Uh, it being a um, a helpful book, like I would love it, and I don't think this even exists. I don't even know if they culturally were, but like, wouldn't it be amazing to find like the female version of the Bible? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even think that there is one, but like, you know, this is a whole other podcast is how the Bible was formed and this great big meeting full of all what? Men who decided and what parts got put in and not put in and all that. 
Uh, like, what if there was somebody sitting in the audience that day and said, hey, I have this box full of letters written from Martha and from Ruth the women. and yeah. Esther and all the women. Oh, no, no, sorry. Um, and the reason I doubt that is just historically what we know about the role of women being undereducated and this, that, and the other. But uh, Well, and even educated, like... I, don't, I can't remember who it was because we were talking about influencers where we were talking about like major influencers of the faith and we wanted to include women in that conversation, but it was so difficult to find women, not that women weren't influencers of the faith. They're like probably the biggest influencers of like faith being passed down from generation to generation, but there's just so little historically written and documented. Right. And it's been like the patriarchy swooped in and said, Nope, we can't allow that. I can't remember who it is, but it's like, uh, in acts, uh, building the first church, there was a woman who was a priestess who was basically like funding and was one of like the main, um, uh, evangelists mm -hmm. of the mm -hmm. first church and basically like over the years with different translations her title of priestess was taken out and just like things like that right. that it's like her identity was stripped away from her because they were like okay well we can't show because we're telling people that women shouldn't be in leadership based on what paul said so we're not allowing women to become priests and pastors and all of these things because they shouldn't be in leadership roles but then there's this woman in the first church who was a priestess and who so we can't have that strike that from the record <laughs> so that's what just I'm what i imagine i imagine like all these maniacal men who are like what can do we do integrate women <laughs> you think there was like a copy editor who came upon that and was like hey i've noted that this in this one particular story this one yeah. woman is getting way too much weight in words yeah. a number of words it's like strike her from the record we're gonna have so to figure stricken. out something to do <laughs> <laughs> and he ran in the next morning with a tablet to his boss and was like oh look what i found and like, okay yeah got the red marker out. Yeah. So I guess I, and a lot of it, like you said, it comes from my own bias of like, I've, I've been personally hurt a lot. Obviously I'm a very opinionated, outspoken woman, which has not always been received well in the church. No way. And I, and not even just in the church. I remember when I was in college, uh, walking through the quad and I, I, I feel like every young woman who attended a university has had this experience because I've heard it like from so many different women, a man standing in the middle of the quad, proselytizing, shaking a Bible at all of the women and saying, you're going to hell because you're wearing a skirt. You're going to hell because I can see your breasts. You're going to hell and all wow. and like calling out the women mm -hmm. for what they're wearing. And because it says in Leviticus, what you, whatever you're supposed to be wearing and you have tattoos and you have a piercing and how does it feel that you're going to burn in hell for eternity? And like, sure. like feels fine. Um, <laughs> but there, so I guess I do have a chip on my shoulder about all of that. And it, and sometimes it makes scripture difficult to read for me. Like, and one of the things that I was realizing as I was preparing for this episode is that I don't open the Bible outside of work. Mm. I work at a church, and so I'm in Scripture a lot, preparing for things like this, preparing for upcoming worship series, things that need to go on the website, whatever. But I don't open the Bible in my personal time because it feels like work. Oh, wow. And um, I don't know how, I mean, the lines are so blurred between career and spirituality for me. 
that, and I don't know how to deal with it. I think that's kind of a, um, I'm going to use a word, maybe it's too strong a word. It's almost like a curse for those of us who are um, employees of a church, who find our joy and passion in doing that which we do at a church, the tools of the church. Um, we have them in and a part of all that we do, live and breathe so much every day that, um, you know, like I don't think surgeons go home and play with their scalpel. Yeah. You know, I don't. I mean, it's it's we have we have come to encounter the Bible. In those well, maybe books. do maybe surgeons do go home and like read research on like I don't know. I feel like maybe you maybe think? they do. Maybe they, yeah, like in their spare a, time. You would want a surgeon that stays vet. on top of the latest <laughs> trends it, it in medicine. Just like reading their journals yeah. from the fifties, yeah, which is kind of interesting. So I mean, we're not going to ride this pony far, but like a whole lot of. Uh, it's been hard for the Christian world for uh, commentaries and such to stay up with contemporary thinking. There, um, for the longest time, some of the most trusted were written back in the 40s and the 50s. And, mm -hmm. and so thinking and interpretation of text was done through the lens of the people who were living then. Yeah. You know, and so we live, I think, in such radically different times. And just the whole... When was the translation of the message written, do you know, with... Eugene, Eugene Peterson. I want to say uh, the 70s. Really? I think, maybe. Yeah. I thought it was like the 90s or the early 2000s. No, no, I'm going to Google it. You look it up. Yeah. But uh, what were we talking about? Oh, so Bible then work. So that's a good question. I'm going to have to, let me, I do read. You, do you read outside of work? I mean, you have to be in the Bible more than I do for your job, Pastor Man. Yeah, I do. Yeah, some. But here, so. Um, 2002. Okay. The message is 2002. Well, I don't know crap, do I? So that's the that's the latest translation well, of the Bible. But also, I feel like people laugh at it. Maybe so. Well, uh, so here's the me and the Bible and work. So I use the Bible when I prepare a sermon. I use the Bible when I prepare a message for a wedding or a funeral. I use the Bible on occasion, but not always, on my own personal growth devotional reading. And so what I will say on the record now is that I more frequently stray away from the Bible when I am reading things that help me on my own personal journey. I'm more inclined to other thoughts and thinkers. And over the last two to five years, I have found just as... Uh, challenging books um, of different faith traditions. Mm -hmm. uh, I try really hard to read um, male, female, um, other gender understanding books, different uh, ethnicity books, mm -hmm. and all of which have, um, I mean, there's a lot of books to read. Well, so. that's what I, I was like. I read a lot of books about the Bible, yeah, but I don't read the Bible. Like, uh, well, maybe not about the Bible, but my most recent one was Universal Christ by Richard Rohr. I felt a deep spiritual connection to that text of like, oh, somebody understands like how I've been feeling about my spirituality and faith and how I feel connected to Christ and all of these things. And so for me, I'm like, okay, why is that not just as sacred as the Bible? Like that sure. seems a little well, outlandish maybe, maybe to that's say. A, maybe but, that's your work to do. Because yeah. maybe it is. And that's just you needing to let go of some of the heavyweight from the past of saying, 
No, it's got to be all Bible all the time or, or yeah. you know. Well, okay. So I feel like I've said a lot of negative things about the Bible. All right, say one positive. Well, here, so one of the questions that I ask is like, where do you find comfort in scripture? And the one that I wrote down is like, what I always go back to over and over again and makes me feel good is the Psalms. Like, mm-hmm. I love the Psalms. And I feel like the Psalms have never been used to... uh punch anyone in the face. Like you haven't been slapped in the head with a Bible and someone quoted Psalms to you. It's like the most emotionally authentic and honest book of like just crying out to God and being like, why are you doing this to me? Help me. Like it's so relatable on such a deep level. Like, you know know why that is, right? No. Yeah, you do. Why? Well, because... Don't tell me what I know. (laughs) I knew in the back of my head, like, even as those words were coming out of my mouth, I was like, oh, she's going to snap at me. So, because David wrote many of the Psalms, if not all, I don't think he wrote all of them. Anyway, so David was at times singing, lamenting, just being raw and vulnerable, Mm -hmm. and would write down, or one of David's people would write down the stories of what was going on in his life. And so, yeah, you get that. You get, you know, laments and you get praise and you get all of those things that are so uh, emotional. Mm-hmm. Because, And I think the contrast is a whole lot of the other uh, books don't necessarily have that level of rawness and vulnerability. Yeah. But I bet, like, if you had to somehow go through them, you're going to be more attracted to the ones that have a higher vulnerability, emotion. Yes. Yeah. The laments, I think for me are like, oh yes, I feel that. And there is something connecting about knowing you're never going to be going through the same thing as someone 2000 years ago, but you can share in the same emotions. And that's kind of crazy. Like Mm -hmm. to be able to read something that David was experienced and be like, oh yeah, I've felt that, or I'm feeling that right now. Um, is just like a humanity connection that is spiritual. And yeah. I think, so I love the book of Psalms, um, but there's not a lot of other books that I'm like, I think the book of James, I'm really like, cause it just feels like good life advice for any point in history. And there's not a lot of divisive or provocative right. stuff in there. It's just basically like treat people better, <laughs> like yeah. be better. It feels kind of almost like a, a community or an HR little guide of, Hey, Here's how to be a nice person. Yeah. And it's easy and it's short. It'd be a and it's good not one. just smile a lot. Yeah. Like my favorite right now, I have a couple. Like, but I'm drawn to scripture where the author has an experience that seems to somewhat parallel mine. Like um Paul uh in Romans talks about uh, you'll never be alone. Mm-hmm. And I remember especially when I was going through kind of my acknowledgement of some of my addiction issues feeling like through my human lens that that excluded me and then being able to read that and read into it. Now, he didn't say, oh, those of you who have struggled with pornography, God is still with you. (laughs) He didn't say it that way. Wouldn't that have been cool? But I read into it that when the word nothing, like I interpret that as nothing, right? Nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. And so uh, I heard that. Oh, even pornography? Yes, Mm -hmm. even pornography. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. And so I find any of those kind of God is always present text mm-hmm. yeah. encouraging. Well, and that's, that's one of the things that I am, 
I don't know if envious is the right word because I'm happy for you that you have that. But that's one of the things that I feel like, you know, when you mentioned there should be a, a women's version of the Bible. Like, um, I don't feel like I directly relate to a lot of people in scripture. Um, and the few women that are talked about in detail in scripture, it's just... I don't feel like we get an inside look into like their thoughts and feelings and emotions. It's more of like, Hey, here's what happened. Um, and here's how they reacted. So, and I guess you could say that for everything, but I wish that we had something from Esther (laughs) that was similar to all, all of the emotional, uh, space that David got. So I'm looking up and I don't think this exists, but like, maybe you should write this. The feminist Bible? Is there such a thing? There has. Well, I know that there's like well Bible, like, so my mom has a Bible that's like Bible for women and it's pink. And, see, that's immediately but, where I was going. I know, like, oh. I know, but it has like, basically it has scripture and then it like has special devotions that are written by women to go, ooh, okay, Doug just pulled up on Amazon, the feminist interpretation of the Bible. That will go on my reading list. Right. Oh my gosh, hardcover, $75. If anyone would like to donate. No, right now. The I'm feminist buy, I'm buy, interpretation. I'm, buying, I'm getting you the paperback right now. Oh, wow. Right now. You just want to buy me things. Well, I knew. She wouldn't let me buy her a weed eater, a used, I mean, a leaf blower. Yeah. So you can't stop me. Because <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let you buy me that. All right. Go ahead, because um, I'm buying it right now. So I forgot where I was going with all of that. That you read and you can't identify sometimes because yeah. it's so all the, the words it's are It's very so, male-centric. So, and so male-ish. Sometimes in a way that you can't even put a finger on, really. It's just a difference in the way that men and women communicate ideas. Um, and that's something that I never realized was important to me because I never had it growing up. I had always been in churches uh, where the senior pastor was a man. And it wasn't until I joined Oaklawn United Methodist Church where the senior pastor is a woman that I'm like, wow, I am relating to the message on Sunday mornings in a way that I never have before. Like I feel connected to this story and it's not, I don't know, it's not anything that I can actually make a list and say, here are the ways that men and women preach differently. There's just something different about the style of communication sure. and the delivery that I'm just like, oh, wow, I've never felt so tuned in yeah. to what's going on here. I think that's great. And, and it, I'm excited for you, all the while I'm sad that for the scores of women who never were able to experience a female preacher. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't until the age of 28, 29, Mm -hmm. that I went to a church with a senior pastor that was a woman for, Mm -hmm. like, so my entire life. Yeah. And um, even though I've always grown up and attended churches where... Uh, women were welcome into leadership. There were associate pastors who were women. Like uh, the Methodist church is very pro-female when it comes to leadership. It still kind of has this subconscious message of, "Mm, yeah, but that's an exception to the rule of like, it's odd to have a female senior pastor where it it shouldn't be. And even as of the last five years, there still have been congregations that have to... uh, 
have been invited to do the work they need to do, which is code for getting ready to accept a female pastor. Mm. Um, and there are still glass ceilings for yeah. the female pastors in our area, uh, none of which are at what I would say are probably the 10 largest churches. And um, all of that is a sad reckoning with, you know, we still got work to do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, <laughs> I should put an asterisk out and say that I'm married to a female pastor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot <laughs> about that. So you're an ally. I am an ally. <laughs> and so uh, she's not currently, you know, living into that. She's currently a teacher. But uh, once a pastor, always a pastor. Well, that's true. <laughs> so I have a deep heart for the plight, really. I mean, it is a blessing. But sister, it's a long, it's a long journey that's still ahead of us. Yeah. So, I mean, all of that to say, you know, scripture, Bible, like understandings of the Bible, interpretations of the Bible, not to say that it's gendered because I don't want it to be. I don't think that. You don't think it is? I don't want it to be. Well, like I, think, I, I think it probably is. Yeah. Yeah. I wish that. I um, so okay. I want us to talk about the question about, like, uh, I think it's on here, but I know I get it a lot. Like somebody who just woke up and found the Bible, or maybe they're going through some kind of life-changing experience, and they say, hey, I want to read the Bible. Where should I start? I would say not with the Bible. <laughs> no, no, no. Hear me out. Hear me out. Okay. So, and maybe this isn't fair to say, one of the best books I've ever read that helped me reframe the way that I read scripture is the book Making Sense of the Bible by Adam Hamilton. Um, yep. And it basically goes through each of the books of the Bible and gives you the context behind it and says, like, it was the first time I ever explored the idea that Genesis is not supposed to be a factual historical understanding of creation. It's supposed to be a poetic expression of God's relationship with humanity. Okay. And that completely <sighs> changed the way, cause I like was always so anti-Genesis cause I'm like, okay, I believe in evolution. Like, and I'm not, you're not going to convince me that the entire, you know, all of humanity was born out of Adam and Eve. Right. Like that's just not, where my, like, my reason cannot... Well, yeah, I can only imagine, and knowing your temperament a bit, and then people who kind of dig in that, what was that phrase you said a minute ago? Like, uh, the Bible said it, that settles it, I believe it, or yeah. whatever. I don't think it goes in that order. But anyway, uh, and then when you hold that over and against, um, trying to come up with an understanding of life, the world, yeah. evolution, creation, how the heck we all got here... And somebody says, oh, we'll just read Genesis. Yeah. Oh, come on now. Well, and that's one of the things I love about that book. And so, like, if you've never cracked open the Bible, I don't know how helpful that advice is because I've never been a person who hasn't cracked open the Bible, you right. know? Yeah. So, my, yeah. so much of my lens of my world experience goes through that. But here, so, but yes. Okay, so I think there are different people who come to want to read the Bible for the first time in different camps. So there are some who go, hey, I, man, I'm just really curious. Then there are many who come and go, I'm going through a life crisis. Where can the Bible speak to me with a word of comfort? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, absolutely the very worst thing they can do, in my opinion, is start page one. Yeah. You know, don't, don't, don't start at the front of this long book, mm -hmm. right? And even though it is a, uh, a book 
with a panorama of a message to us. It also, individual letters, stories, chapters can speak to people. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not like necessarily reading a novel. Yeah. It can be if you try really hard and you step way back and go, But I think oh. you have to already be like really into it. Oh, yeah. No, you can't just go, oh, I get it. I wonder what this is about. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, but it, I also think it would have to depend on the person, right? Yeah. Like we can't just give blanket advice and be like, oh, start here. Like I think you'd have to have, you know, a conversation of, okay, what is it that you believe? Do you know what you believe? Like what are you going through in your life right now? Like why are you interested in the Bible? And like kind of get to know them as a person before yeah. you're recommending anything. You know what came to my mind is it would be great if like there were people who could be like a Bible pharmacist. Yeah. Okay, here's what you're going through. Okay, here's a really helpful place to well, start. There is that in the back. So I used to use that all the time. And I, it's like the index of the Bible where you can search by topics. Uh-huh. Yeah, you can search by topics. And so like when I was in high school and I was like gung-ho Bible, yeah. um, anytime I was going through something in the back of your Bible, it'll, I don't know if it's every Bible or if it's well, like I had a teen study Bible, but... Life application topics. Oh, yeah, life application topics. And so it basically gives you a topic and then a list of scriptures to read if you're going through whatever that thing is. I think that uh, if you're listening to this, I I just wish that our time would give you the permission you need to encounter the word, the word. See, even that, the word. These words from people who did their best to speak— truths that were going on in their life. Um, it is okay to wonder and question. It's okay to be mad at stories in the Bible and put it down and to not get back to it for a month, a day, a year, five years. Um, you know, it, it in and of itself, uh, are words on paper and the, uh, the stuff that makes them have meaning and purpose, mm-hmm. I think, already kind of reside in your heart. Yeah. And uh, it, I know it's not my fault, but I want to apologize for every person who has been wounded by a, um, an assy, jackassery pastor who's used this to judge and hurt other people. Yeah. Well, not even, not even judge and hurt, like, Sometimes I get the impression, even from the pastors that I love and respect and have, have never had an issue with, of like, you'll, you'll find, what are you going through? When was the last time you read your Bible? Like, are you in the Word? Because that's the number one way to connect with God. And I'm like, not for me. Right. Like, I don't feel that way. And then it makes me feel I'm wrong to feel that way. And I'm like, okay, I'm never going to get better until I start reading scripture, but I can't bring myself to read scripture because it upsets me so much because of the way that it's been used against me and the people I love. And so there's a lot of feelings wrapped up in that. And I, I think a lot of times we don't acknowledge all of the feelings that come with this book um, and that it's not just simple opening up and reading right. it as a chapter book. It's um, a lot of ugly history yeah. with it. Um, that's hard to overcome for me. I don't know if anyone else can relate to that or if I'm just... Sure. People I mean, are stewing. Imagine all the people, people you and I both know and love and 
we don't even know them, but we love them, who have been wounded by this and uh, or others who they at one time trusted used this to wound them, um, you know, they're probably just saying the hell with it all, right? Yeah. I don't have any desire to go back to that. And then they go to a church that says, oh, yeah. want to get to know God better? Get to know him through the word. Well, and here's the other, here is an even more cynical layer on top of everything else I've put out there, if you're ready for it. Um, a lot of times my purpose for uh, reading scripture is know thy enemy. Like, mm. because I know people are going to come at me with hate because of the words in this scripture around like who I'm friends with, how I live my life, you know, all of these things and judge me for that. And so I'm like, okay, I better know scripture so that when they do that to me, I can correct, or I at least know, hey, mm -hmm. that's not what it says, which is not a good reason <laughs> to engage with scripture. Probably like, not forever, but I think that, you, that I, I'm willing to bet, and I hope there will be a day that you'll go, oh, I used to use this when somebody was really ugly about my friends. And maybe someday I won't see them as the enemy. That was too strong of a word of like, right. know your enemy. Well, right now, but, it feels like they are. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks for putting up with us. You know, uh, what we hope to do in our conversations is to uh, ramble through um, the institutionalism of our faith and to say it's okay to say, yeah, I'm not sure, or to get mad at it or to discount it. And, um, you know, sometimes that upsets people I hear. Yeah. And other times there are people who are going, yeah, that's exactly how I felt. I'm really glad you gave us a setting to do that. And if it uh, ruffles your feathers so much that you want to express those... Contact our, Doug. Our, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our favorite way to do that is to sit down over a cup of coffee or yeah. talk on the phone. Uh, and we're both pretty tough people. You can, uh, you know, talk to us respectfully, whatever that... I don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. uh, don't hit us, but just be real and raw. And we can handle it, and you can too. There is so much that I don't know. And the more that I think I know, the less I actually know. <laughs> well, yeah. And the last thing I think either of us want to be is the the person that we lament about. Be the opposite, right? The, mm -hmm. the know-it-all, this is exactly it. This is just two people, Doug and Alyssa, going, I wonder, could it be, maybe not, and we are, um, we're not afraid of doing that. We're not afraid of uh, God's punishment. We're not afraid of hell. We're not, you know, we're not doing it out of fear. We're not not doing it because we're afraid. We're doing it because it, it, uh, it I don't know. I think it actually kind of helps deepen my understanding of my connection to my creator. The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org, and I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.